The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Just Andrew Stutsky here. Thanks again for joining us for our new podcast, Head in the Clouds. Uh, this is episode three. Uh, just a quick note, I want you to check out another podcast that was put together uh, from several Tribune media uh, meteorologists uh, from all around the country. Uh, really great podcast that goes into details as to uh, why meteorology is not an exact science, why we oftentimes can get it wrong, and we do get it wrong. Uh, we're not always 100% right 100% of the time, uh, but nonetheless, there's some good discussion, uh, including from our own chief meteorologist, James Zahara. So make sure and check that out. You can find it in the listing, by the way, uh, in the same place that you can find this podcast right on our page at WQAD.com. Uh, we're quite a a little bit in a low weather-wise this week. Uh, this is the week of March 16th, and we're waiting for some spring warmth to move in. Uh, it does appear the winter weather is going to be behind us for a while anyway, but now the concern continues to be with flooding, and we've discussed that before. Uh, so since it's a little bit of a quiet week this time around, I figured this would be a great opportunity for me to kind of talk about why I chose meteorology, why this field uh, is very rewarding, but it can also be very challenging at times. And just kind of share a little bit about my journey, uh, especially for those that may be interested in possibly pursuing this as a career and uh, all that good stuff. So we'll go through all of that. Uh, before we start, though, a quick programming note that I'm going to have uh, Chief Meteorologist James Zahara join me next week uh, for a to-be-determined topic. We're going to think of something that we can kind of put out there and, and discuss a lot. There's a lot to talk about, of course. Uh, it's been such a busy year. Uh, but there's several things that we could possibly cover, uh, something to stay tuned that'll be coming up uh, next week. So this week, just going to kind of focus on uh, my journey is to becoming a meteorologist. It was kind of an interesting one. And I was a little bit later to the game than most people my age. Uh, took a quite a different path. Uh, so for those that aren't aware, uh, obviously grew up in Sterling. So I'm from this area, watched Channel 8 growing up. Um, when I go do school visits, of course, doing the introductions, introducing who you are, what you're about, where you came from, uh, the journey that got you to where you're at today. Uh, a lot of people are always asking me why I chose weather, and it's really an easy question to ask, and it, actually I answer it with another question, and the question I ask is why not? Uh, we live in such an amazing part of the country, and even the world, in fact, where we get so many different elements of weather. We get blizzards, tornadoes, sometimes even in the same week, and in some places even in the same day. Uh, we get floods, severe thunderstorms, droughts, heat waves, cold snaps, record cold like we just had this past winter. So we see everything. Uh, and that's why I love living in the Midwest and in part why I love this job, because it's not the same thing every single day. It's different. Now, if we get ourselves into a drought, surely that can be uh, something that's the same every single day. But more often than not, our weather is constantly changing and it's always providing a new challenge for us in terms of being able to forecast that change and what its impacts could have 
uh, on our daily lives. So it's a simple reason why I chose meteorology. I certainly didn't choose it because I thought I was good at math or I was good at science. I was not good at either. Um, I'm more of a traditional right brain person where I flourish kind of more on the creativity side, not so much on the reasoning and understanding side. Uh, So it took me quite a while to kind of grasp some of the mathematical concepts that are involved uh, in getting your degree in meteorology. It's It's a degree program that mirrors that of an engineering degree. Uh, These are the same people that build bridges, that launch space rockets and spaceships to different parts of outer space. They go through a lot of the similar math and physics and chemistry and other sciences that are required for those degrees. So it is not for the uh, faint of heart. If you don't like math, you're going to struggle, I guarantee it. But it's not impossible, quote, it's not impossible to get this degree. Uh, And I'm a a living living example of that uh, because I am here today and I'm a meteorologist and I was terrible at math. took me a little bit longer, but I got through it. So if you're interested in pursuing the degree or if you have kids, maybe some grandkids that are interested in pursuing the degree, the math and science skills are a must. And thankfully, our education system is really kind of grabbing onto that concept. There's a lot of STEM programs that encourage uh, things in science classes like physics and uh, encouraging mathematics and electronics and things like that. That's the stuff you really want to get into uh, if you want to go into meteorolo- meteorology, rather, if I can say it right. Uh, so, so my journey, a little bit about that really quickly. I uh, graduated high school in 2004, went to community college for an awfully long time. From 2004 to 2010, I was at community college, uh, Sock Valley and Dixon, which is in Lee County. The reason it was so long, I actually was working full-time while going to school, which wasn't a bad thing. It left me with no student loan debt by the time I got done with college in total, so that was a nice thing. But it did make my journey uh, take a little bit longer than normal. Uh, From Sauk, went on to Iowa State briefly for a semester and actually failed. And I'm not afraid or ashamed to admit that. Uh, That's something that I openly talk about now, you know, coming off uh, something that's almost 10 years ago that's happened. Uh, It's easier and easier to talk about it. But I think admitting failure is one of the strengths that you really need in order to be successful uh, in whatever career you have. Because once you admit that failure, you're able to take things away from that, learn from it, and then try again uh, to succeed the next time you try and go for something, whether it's something different or the same thing like I did. So I did have a little bit of failure at Iowa State. I had to leave. I did not do very well academically. I was what they call academically dismissed. Uh, So what I did... I just went back to the drawing board. I went back to community college for a couple more years, took some more math classes, took some more physics classes, uh, got some good teachers, uh, some good mentors behind me, and plowed through, powered on, ended up back at Northern Illinois University in DeKalb. I did that from 2014 to 2016, finished up that uh, bachelor's degree, got it done, had all my math out of the way. Uh, And it was still a struggle. There are still some meteorology classes to this day that give me nightmares. Uh, Some of the the equations we had to go through and things like that, they were incredibly difficult to understand, let alone read. Uh, But I did it, made it through, and graduated in 2016. Uh, So if you're bad at math, don't expect yourself to get through this whole journey in four years. For me, it took a little bit more than 10 years. Uh, and it wasn't a bad thing. It was a good learning experience. I met so many wonderful people along the way. And everybody does their own pace uh, at life. And I was just thankful that I was able to actually complete this 
uh, mission that I had had since I was young to get this degree, and now it's landed me in a, a very successful job here at WQAD. So the math is really hard. We've gone over that. Uh, the equations in this uh, class that you have to take called atmospheric dynamics and atmospheric physics extremely hard equations. These things are long. They have about 20 variables in them. You've got to try and solve them. You've got addition, subtraction, division, multiplication. Uh, it is extremely hard. It's a very hard concept to grasp. So you're trying to get the math done. And, and it's kind of interesting in some of these classes, too. I was not the only one that was struggling. It's one of those classes you go in, you take an exam, you get the exam back, and you have a score of, say, 38 out of 100. And normally, 38 out of 100, that's failing. That's not a good score at all. Uh, but what happens is these classes are so hard and they're so advanced that the average on most of these tests ends up being somewhere between 50 and 60 out of 100. So we curve those grades and we curve those scores, and that 30 becomes more of a C, C plus as opposed to an F. That's kind of how hard these advanced classes are. And talk to any college student as you get into the upper levels, into your junior and senior year. There's a lot of this that goes on, especially in the math courses and in the physics courses. Uh, of course, you'll still have people that can still, still score relatively high, say in the 80s, 90s, 100s. Uh, but those are kind of more of the rare exceptions because the course material becomes that much more difficult. Uh, so once you get past the math and all that, you get your degree, what's next? Well, next comes the job hunt. For some, it's easy, and for some, it's not. Uh, there's two different standards, especially depending on if you're a male or a female when it comes to the actual broadcast side of things. Of course, you can go into the private sector. You can do uh, weather forecasting for a private company like AccuWeather. Uh, you can also do private forecasting for an airline, uh, energy companies, snow removal companies, a whole bunch of different options you can do. Uh, the broadcast one is a little bit more exciting because, of course, you're in the community. You're reaching out to the community. You're connecting with your viewers. You're working together with a team of people that have one common goal. And it also gives you the chance to display your craft and your talent in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and for me, that kind of concept was scary at first because I'm kind of more of an introvert than an extrovert. But once you're on camera and you have that camera presence – it really isn't all that bad, and it's actually kind of fun. Uh, that's how I think of it anyway. So back to kind of the double standard. Um, it is a little bit more difficult, I will say, for the female broadcasters that are in this industry. I have several that I graduated with that have also gone into broadcasting. Uh, and I also know a number of male uh, classmates that have also gone into broadcasting, too. Uh, and I really, for some reason, it's always the females that really get the brunt of the comments uh, from some of the people that do tend to watch the newscasts. And, and some of these comments are kind of a little mean, I got to say. They can actually be very mean and very derogatory at times. And the thing that's always kind of blown my mind is these comments are coming from female viewers directed at female talent. Uh, and they can't get really nasty. They can also get really personal, too. Uh, from everything from the makeup to the hair, they'll say your hair is a disaster. Uh, they'll comment on the clothing that you're wearing. Now, myself personally, I've only received one of these comments since I've started my broadcast career. Uh, and all it was was basically they said I wasn't nothing much to look at, which is fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm not on television to win, you know, a bachelor contest or anything like that. Uh, I'm here to do my job, do it effectively, communicate it effectively, 
and promote the station in a positive manner. Uh, I'm not, you know, on television to try and be the perfect human being with chiseled abs and dark wavy hair or anything like that. You know, that's not something that's bad to look at by any means, but that's not kind of the overall goal. But it really has always been remarkable to me, especially the female audience that attacks the female uh, broadcasters the most. So, uh, if you're a female and you're considering going into the world of broadcasting, you really got to have some tough skin. Even if you're a male, you need to have some tough skin. For me, thankfully, working in retail, I got to deal with a lot of this in person. These kind of comments that get sent to our female uh, counterparts here at the in the broadcast world, I actually got these hurled at me in person. So I built up a lot of thick skin during that time in retail. That was about 10 years that I was uh, doing that job. So that really kind of helped uh, me overcome that obstacle uh, if you will, still get some to this day that may rub you the wrong way, but most of the people that uh, send these in, you'll respond. They won't respond back, uh, that kind of thing, or they'll hide behind and uh, alias. So some thick skin really required, especially in this industry on the broadcast side, because, again, you're broadcasting your personality and yourself to hundreds of thousands of people, not only on the air, but also online, uh, Facebook page, Twitter. You're posting videos there. Uh, so a lot of people seeing your content, and if stuff goes viral, like one of my posts did a couple months ago, where more than a million people watched it, and there was my face and my silhouette plastered all over it, uh, certainly got to be ready for that. So you want to have some really, really thick skin uh, before you get into this job. So that's generally what I'm telling the kids, especially on school visits, math, science, you want to have a positive attitude, of course, be able to get along with people. You're working in a group. It's not a one-man show. Uh, granted, the podcast has kind of been a one-man show so far, but we're going to have more people uh, as time goes on and starting with next week. But you want to be able to work with other people and work with them quite well. And you want that that persona to radiate, that working relationship. You want it to radiate with the viewers. Viewers can tell when a relationship isn't too good. They can sense friction on the air and things like that. You can try to hide it, but it's not going to work. So you want to be able to get along with everybody and anybody. There's no reason not to. Uh, Growing up, you know, I was taught good morals. You know, you respect each person. Even if the person doesn't respect you, you still need to respect them. You need to take the high road uh, and things like that. So that's another key thing you need to have, of course, uh, to be in this industry. You got to be able to communicate effectively. You know, meteorologists don't read a teleprompter. Uh, Well, actually, we do sometimes, but that's when we have to do a news story. Uh, But otherwise, when we're doing our weather forecasts, there is no teleprompter involved whatsoever. What we're doing is we're having a conversation. And not a lot of people have that uh, talent to be able to continue to flow words and uh, keep doing it uninterrupted like what we're doing right now. This is essentially the talent you have to have. You have to be able to hold a conversation, keep the words flowing, keep the content flowing, and make it sound smooth at the same time. Now, you don't have to be a smooth talker. And that you got to have all your words in a row and not make mistakes because Lord knows we all do that, especially because this is live. This is not recorded, at least on TV. The podcast, of course, is recorded. But uh, yeah, you got to be able to do all that as well. You got to multitask. You're going to have somebody talking into your ear while you're up at the green screen giving your forecast. So you got to be able to kind of listen to it, retain it, but not let it slow you down or stop you completely. Uh, so that's kind of another challenge that we face. Uh, here in the broadcast world. But I got to say, my favorite part of the job, uh, other than, of course, delivering the forecast, is got to be the community outreach. Uh, that's very important to me. I think it's good to be in the community to get messages out, to get uh, severe weather awareness messages out, especially with the school visits. Those are a huge thing uh, that I really try to emphasize anytime I go visit a classroom or a, a small group. We talk about severe weather, we talk about the severe weather safety plan. 
and we talk about weather, why it works, what makes it tick, all sorts of things. And of course, you'll get the questions too, you know, like how many brothers do you have? How many cats and dogs do you have? Uh, Those are always fun too. It's always kind of cool to get a glimpse into your personal life. And then the kids sometimes go off on a tangent about, well, what do you know about dinosaurs? And what do you know about space? And what is Venus made out of? And why is Pluto not considered a planet anymore? And then those kind of go off topic and you're thinking, oh man, I'm really getting into things uh, quite deep here. We're going to have to get back on topic. But uh, that's always a fun part that I enjoy about visiting the kids uh, while we go into the classroom. Now, another thing, too, uh, this is kind of the last topic I'm going to cover for this podcast here, kind of a short one today. Uh, but with the a, t- a typical day when you're working as a broadcast meteorologist, I can tell you the hours can be a little bit rough. They're not for everybody. Uh, this is why you may see a well-established meteorologist that's been at a station for a number of years decide to go off in a little bit of a different direction. Uh, the hours can be a little bit grueling. For the most part, they're not too family-friendly, though a lot of people have been successful in kind of making them family-friendly and that kind of adjust your routine just right. Uh, you can do that. But a couple examples, uh, for example, Chief uh, Chief Meteorologist James Zahara, his shift is typically Monday through Friday from 2 in the afternoon to about 11 o'clock at night, sometimes a little bit later uh, if there's severe weather. But obviously it's not, you know, the greatest shift if you have some younger kids because during the newscast, you don't really get to have dinner with them. You may get some time to go home and tuck them into bed, maybe give them a quick story, and then you got to be back for the 10 o'clock news. And on top of that, if there's severe weather, you need to be here anyway, and there's really no chance you're going to be leaving. You're also going to be having several public appearances to keep track of, too. So your schedule's going to get a little crazy at times. So with a young family, the, the chief meteorologist wrote, it's a little bit more difficult to, to do. It's not impossible. Uh, but it's not the easiest job in the world in terms of your time management. Uh, The morning meteorologist one is a little bit more interesting. Um, I think this one's a little bit more family-friendly because you do get to spend some of that quality time in the afternoon with the kids. Uh, The shift runs from 2 in the morning until noon. That's what Eric Sorensen does here roughly each uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, So at least you get the afternoon off. You know, you can pick the kids up from school. You can have that dinner time. You can put them to bed uh, if they go to bed early because, of course, your bedtime is going to be between 6 and 7.30. But I think that one's a little bit more family-friendly. And and you'll see that in the industry, too. I've seen that. Uh, Some of the guys and gals around my age that have that young family that's starting, a lot of them do work the morning shift. uh, And that's one of the reasons why. Now, myself, I'm the weekend guy, so my hours are all over the place. Typically, I'm working Monday through Wednesday during the week uh, from about 9.30 in the morning till 6.30 in the evening. And then Saturday and Sunday, I'm working that 2 to 11 shift. So you don't have much of a life during the weekend uh, because you are working, obviously. So your weekend takes place a little bit differently. My weekend would typically take place on a Thursday and a Friday, which can be a little bit difficult because everybody else is typically working Though at least the Friday option is open. So, if you know, a lot of friends like to go out on a Friday night. That's usually what I'll do uh, instead of going out on the weekend because obviously I'm working. So that works out good. But, again, your schedule is kind of all over the place and it can be a little bit difficult too. But the weekend meteorologist in my position is considered one of those stepping stones uh, into getting into one of the higher uh, positions. So that's my overall plan. Probably going to take some time to get there. Um, And who knows where I'll end up. After this, I would love to stick around in this area, so we'll see what happens. 
But that's just kind of a taste of, of some of the life that we go through uh, in being a meteorologist or a broadcast meteorologist. There's similar shifts like the ones I mentioned, too. If you go work for the government sector, the National Weather Service, they have some really crazy shifts uh, starting late at night into the early morning that you'll have to work, too. So you have to start somewhere, though, and that's true with any job. Uh, you start low. Uh, the pay not, may not be that great, but it does get better with time, and you'll find your happiness level gets better with time, too, uh, as you move up in the ranks and you move up in the ranks within your career. You could even stay at the same place and move up in the ranks. You don't necessarily have to move a 1,000 miles away to do that, uh, but it can be interesting. You know, It gives you the option to go anywhere in the country, essentially, and really an opportunity to kind of discover yourself, if you will, and really build some truly lasting, uh, lasting friendships and relationships. That's definitely something that I've learned out of this experience so far. I've met so many incredible people and have uh, been so fortunate to be able to call many of them my friends. Uh, and these are friendships and relationships that I will keep with me uh, for a lifetime. We communicate almost every day with most of the people that I've run into uh, so to say that the, the journey has been anything short of amazing, it has truly been amazing, uh, and it has been a blessing. So that's just a little bit of background uh, from my personal experience of becoming a meteorologist. Not the easiest thing. Didn't accomplish it in four years. It took me 10, but again, persistence pays off. Not giving up pays off. If you find yourself in a spot, uh, if you're going into the field of meteorology where you think, nope, I can't do this, it's too hard, pick yourself back up try it again, and I think you'll be able to be successful, even if you're not good at math, just like me. If you guys have any feedback on any of our podcasts, so you can give us to give us that feedback on WQAD.com. You can also email me at andrew.stutsky at WQAD.com. We look forward to having you back for episode four of Head in the Cloud. Take care.